0: Twenty-seven. Hello there, everyone. Corey here again for another podcast. All righty, <laughs> yeah yeah well uh i've been really busy in november i'm always busy but november is even more busier <laughs> because i take on national novel writing month which is a fantastic program uh, great website nanorimo.org. i've talked about it a lot last year when i did it i posted it to my blog but uh, i haven't been posting this year and i had to come to a really tough decision this week uh, it's one that I was holding off on making until something had to give. And that decision was, I had to abandon my novel this year. I am stopping it. It only got to about thirteen or 14,000 words. Uh, it completely went in a different direction than I intended it to when I started. I had kind of a vague idea of what the story was going to be. And it just went weird. It went really weird. I did not expect a lot of those things to happen, and they did happen, and I went with them, and now there are a lot of plot holes, there's a lot of terrible things. I mean, I might as well just send aliens down at this point and just wipe everybody out. Maybe that's what I'll do. Maybe that'll make for a great, great little novella or something if I just take what I've written so far, and then at the end just aliens come down and just wipe everyone out because the whole thing made no sense at all. And then the Earth's taken over by aliens. Yeah, and what can you do? Uh, yeah, but other things that I'm doing, I am making music and I'm podcasting because those things are very important to me and they're very fun. Doing this is very fun. Talking to a microphone as if this microphone is a human being and is somebody who is really deeply interested in hearing what I have to say. That's a lot of fun doing that every week. And I record it and I put it on the internet where you all listen. And like I tell you a lot, I'm, I'm amazed that you're listening and I am grateful. I am very grateful that you listen to my show. Anyhow, um, I'm also making my movie still. I've freed up time to really, really pound this thing out. The difficult stage right now is the audio. I'm doing sound effects, Foley work, music, uh, different sound beds, and it is very time consuming. I'm being very picky and uh, very very much a perfectionist in doing that, as I am with, with most of the things that I do. Um, so yeah, progress is being made there. Uh, I'm also, you know, of course doing regular everyday things like working and spending time with my wife, which are two, uh, huge, huge priorities. So yeah, no novel this year. But uh, yeah, I've been writing music. Uh, You'll be hearing a new original music song this week, as I do every week. And I also wrote and recorded the one for next week. Since next week is weird, it's going to be Thanksgiving. I'm going to be away for several days, so I'll have to do the podcast early next week. And I'm glad that I wrote and recorded a new song for that. So that's already done. Um, So yeah, I'll be uh, talking about some movies. Uh, A lot of weird things. Okay, I'm really happy Invisible Invaders came in. Uh, Actually I got the movie on like Monday or Tuesday in the mail and the great thing is I ordered this off of Amazon and uh, it it came on the same disc as uh, The Journey to the Seventh Planet or something like that which I'll watch eventually. But uh, it advertised in Amazon that this was a used copy and it was like new but it was used and that's why it was only like three bucks so I'm like oh I don't care because this is probably a movie I'm just going to watch one time and then just put it on the shelf and it'll never be touched again. So uh, I got it, and it's brand new. Like, it was still shrink-wrapped. It still had the little DVD stickers on the, on the ends. So, yeah, I was very pleased. And I'll be talking about that. Invisible Invaders, of course, that's from 1959. The last zombie movie from the 1950s that I'll be talking about. So, oh yeah, big occasion. <laughs> uh, I finally queued up Body Snatchers from 1993 on Netflix. And uh, I'll talk about my experience with that movie. Uh, Something very unexpected uh, happened. (laughs) And also, uh, I got to watch The Walking Dead Episode 3 from AMC that aired this past Sunday. I DVR'd it, as I always do, and uh, watched it like Monday or Tuesday. And I also have some voicemails about that. My friend Spooky Bill... As has been the pattern here for all three episodes now of The Walking Dead, uh, Spooky Bill calls in and gives his thoughts about it. And I'm just saying now, you know, Spooky Bill, now that you've been doing this three times in a row, it's like you got to keep going, brother. I mean, I hate to lay this kind of pressure on you because I know you're a busy guy. Uh, you you work a lot and have, you know, a lot of family things that you do. And But, uh, you know, hey, you started it, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I really appreciate that. And also Betty from Maryland calls in with her thoughts about The Walking Dead. So all kinds of all kinds of views and perspectives and things about The Walking Dead this week, and I'm ecstatic about that. So yeah, we'll be talking about that. And oh man, this is great. My friend Johnny T, you know, Johnny T from Johnny's Cult Films, uh, the podcast, the website, fantastic. I got links up on midnightcory.com where you can go check that out. Fantastic. He's the reason why I covered uh, Slow Drip from uh, the Burt Bacharach Fight Club and also covered Waterloo from ABBA. <laughs> and, uh, so Johnny T got together with the guys from his podcast and sent me a very special personal message from the bottom of their hearts, and this thing is a thing to behold. So, oh yeah, oh yeah, listen for that. Yeah, a whole bunch of great stuff. Also, a video game that I picked up this week, and maybe I'll talk about that, is uh, Dead Rising 2. I had been debating on whether to buy it uh, right away, anyhow, uh, because we're getting up to Christmas season, and you want to tell people what you want for Christmas, and my in-laws are great in that uh, they buy me video games. Like, every Christmas. <laughs> my wife will not buy me video games, because she doesn't play video games, and she doesn't condone all the time that I invest in video games. Um, my parents don't because they bought me so many video games when I was growing up and, uh, and everything. They just got sick of them. So they buy me things I can actually use and you know things that I need. Uh, but my in-laws, hey, they buy me a video game every year and I've been wanting Dead Rising 2. So I'm like, oh, that's the one I'll ask for. But man, I just wanted to play Dead Rising 2. So I had a few games sitting around that I didn't play anymore, like Ghostbusters. You know, I, I bought Ghostbusters for like 20 bucks just to see what it was about. And I played it a few times, and it was okay. But uh, I traded that one in. I traded in, I think, the Simpsons game because that just kind of got old for me. And uh, what else? Oh, Resident Evil 5. Yeah, yeah, I kind of got tired of that one too. So traded those three in, and it only gave me like 25 bucks off or something. You know, they rip you off that way. But uh, I got Dead Rising 2. And uh, let me tell you, love it. I absolutely love it. Um, they improved on a lot of things from the first Dead Rising. You know, to be honest with you, in Dead Rising 1, uh, I, I didn't really like the whole picture-taking thing, the whole photojournalist thing. It just seemed to be so much of a, a difference from the zombie-killing part of the, the game. It, uh, it just kind of, I thought, was annoying, kind of got in your way. So, yeah, and uh, I like all the new weapons. I think uh, the whole system's better. I think uh, things are easier to find. But, man, the map is huge. You have several casinos, uh, different malls, all kinds of different parks and streets, and uh, the arena, and all kinds of of great things. Uh, You can build your own weapons. There are certain combo weapons that you learn to build as you go through the game, and you level up, and you get achievements and things. I mean... This thing's fantastic. You're a motocross champion, um, but this brand of motocross is motocross during the zombie apocalypse where they mount two chainsaw blades to your front wheel sticking out to the left and to the right. And you just mow through a whole crowd of zombies and see how many you can mow down within the time. And that's pretty much the thing. And uh, there's a whole reality show about it. And so you're part of this. Uh, You're the guy. You're the champion. Actually, you start off playing a game of this, which is really fun and uh and then the story unfolds from there basically the zombies break free you got to figure out how to uh you got to figure out who's behind all this thing because there are weird crimes happening and things like that uh and the constant thing is you have to keep giving your daughter this medicine called zombrex and zombrex is the stuff that they've developed where if you get bitten by a zombie it'll keep you from dying and turning into a zombie. And uh, the only thing is you gotta take it every 24 hours. So every 24 hours you gotta make sure that you have found some Zombrex, which is extremely rare and then get back to the safe house where you can give it to your daughter at a certain time every day. So yeah, that's just another kind of mission you got to think about. All kinds of other missions, side missions. I think rescuing the survivors that are all throughout this whole area, this whole uh, uh, fortune city, they call it, which is basically Las Vegas. But uh, they're spread out everywhere, and I think rescuing these survivors is a lot easier in Dead Rising 2. I don't know, it just seems to be that way to me. But uh, some great guns. I've already got some machine guns and uh, an assault rifle. So, yeah. yeah, It's, it's fantastic. It really is. So, uh, that's my little review, I guess, of the game. Uh, I haven't beaten it yet, but I'm um, a good ways into it. And uh, it's, it's great. So, go buy Dead Rising 2 if you have an Xbox or a PS3 or wherever. It's, it's released pretty much all over the world. So, yeah. You should be able to find it.
1: Dear Lord... I pray that I am insane. But all that happened is only in my mind. I pray that tomorrow the sun will shine again on living things. But not on a world where only the dead walk the earth. Hey! To
0: you! I- Midnight, A message to you, Corey. Mm -hmm. A message to you, Corey. Hey, Midnight, Corey. This is Johnny from Johnny T's... Oh, film mm. Just like say, thank you very, very much for like promoting our show <laughs> and, and doing all the like you know the promotion for our show and the cover version. And you even took up our challenge to do the ABBA cover version, which you did. Yeah, and we didn't really mean that, but he still but you did it. Ah, Corey, you're a top man. You the man. You the man. Message to Corey. But anyway, Cory man, thank you very much. Keep up the great, great show, and we shall speak to you soon with another one that will probably be a bit better organised than this one. But
1: thank you for all your help, and you the man. Thank you, Corey. See you later, See you, Corey, Bye, Brad. Bye. bye.
0: bye, bye. Thank you, Here we go, talking about episode three of The Walking Dead. All of a sudden, the only thing that's, like, constant and consistent on this podcast is that I'm talking about The Walking Dead. But uh, anyhow, who cares? Who cares? I love talking about it, and I really haven't heard anybody else talking about it except the idiot spoilers that people post immediately on uh, Twitter. (sighs) Yeah, but what can you do? What can you do? Uh, Walking Dead Episode 3. We are going to have spoilers in this segment. Uh, That's just the nature of it. I really am getting in depth about this. And before I start running my mouth about this show, about Episode 3 in particular, um, we have two voicemails. First, my friend Spooky Bill, who has been so incredibly wonderful, as to call in every week. Um, so he's going to give his thoughts on it. And then Betty from Maryland, uh, we hear from her again, and she is also talking about The Walking Dead. So let's hear from those guys, and then I'll be back to tell you what I think.
2: Midnight, Corey! Midnight, Corey! Midnight, Corey! Ah! Hey,
1: Corey, this is, uh, Spooky Bill. Last night, I got to watch... Walking Dead episode three, and uh, I had to say, I figured well since I called in the first, I may as well call in my thoughts on this one. Like this one better than episode two. Um, my, uh, and it was still too damn short. An hour long just does not seem like anything. I mean, I don't know, um, but you know that's my own personal issues with it, I guess. Uh, I have to say, it's kind of sad knowing that the season is halfway over now. Um, but, the good news is, it has been picked up for a second season. And, uh, <laughs> like, anybody, nobody saw that coming. Um, so it starts out with that, you know, your stereotypical white racist, chained, handcuffed to the roof of the building, and some goofy looking zombies trying to get in through the door. Um, yeah, they were goofy looking. I, I don't know. But then we go to the reunion. Now that was nice. It was nice to see. Um, I don't know. It was. It was expected. It was good. It was. You know, it made me want to cry with the music and everything. Yeah. Uh, so happy. Um, Lori. Oh, not Lori. Uh, what's his name, Rick's wife, is it Lori? i am drawing a blank. Anyway, just kind of pushes Shane away, locks him out, which, you know, I can see that in a normal situation. Um, you know, you're trying to separate yourself from the temptation or whatever. But all in all, I'd say it was a good episode. Um, you now they go back into the city to look for the white racist, and he's gone. You cut off his hand. Ooh. Yeah. But now what? I don't know. Who cares? Um, like I said, uh, those some of those characters, actually all of those characters, I, I really don't care about. Um, they're empty to me. And, I really, they're just zombie fodder. I don't know. Like I said before, it, maybe it's because I can't separate myself from the book. Um, but, I, I don't care about them. We had the wife beater. Woohoo! Yeah. Okay, he got beat up. Who cares? um, We've got, uh, uh, well, i got to say one thing. I'm glad we don't have the overly zealous religious uh, end-of-the-world person at the camp because, you know, that's just been done in everything. Where was the gore in this one? It was in the with the zombie eating the deer. There um, wasn't a whole lot of it in this episode, but, you know, in that episode there was a lot of vibrant red blood, and uh, we met the other white racist. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's really it. I, I again, I feel like, you know, okay, wicked and his wife were reunited. And that's pretty much the big plot point that happened in this episode. Yeah, they went into, to the city. Okay. And, and again, nothing happened because it ended after an hour and those, Damn long commercials! Thank God it was on DVR so I could just fast forward past them, but it seemed to go forever. Ah, uh, yeah, that's my, uh, just my thoughts on, you know, episode three of The Walking Dead. Now that the uh, season is half over, definitely gonna buy this one on on DVD. Uh, I hope it comes out with some excellent extras because that's, uh, man, that'd be great. Anyway, I'm starting to ramble as usual. This is Suki Bill. Stay loose and stay safe. Oh, wait. One more thing, good sir. They were making so damn much noise at that camp with the car alarm and white racist number two honking the horn of the truck that even my wife said, what the hell is wrong with them? Yeah, they're just dumb. Not, Not smart campers, not smart people in the zombie apocalypse. Um, I have to say, Glenn is my favorite character. Um i think I think he probably even is in the comic um you know I don't know how i how I feel about his bob look in the comic, but uh uh I definitely like him in in the show i think i think uh I think he's going to be well i guess sort of the comic relief character um, not overly done, but he's uh yeah, I should say I really like his character i uh you know he's a little dumb driving the car all the way back to the camp with the screeching alarms. But, uh, yeah, all in all, it was fun. But my wife was even annoyed with how loud these people were. So uh, that's what it is. Later.
2: Hey, Corey, it's Betty from Maryland. You had asked people to call in about their thoughts about The Walking Dead, and I have actually many words to say about it. But one word would be excellent. Uh, AMC is the perfect network for this show. Um, Breaking Bad is a show that they also have on and I think they're starting a new season in 2011 that is an awesome show anybody listening should check it out it's great and they have constantly been pushing the envelope on what you can and can't do on TV and it constantly amazes me uh, what they can get away with so I thought that AMC was a perfect forum for this show Um, it's been a long time since I've read the first part of the comics. I am all caught up. But I'm interested in seeing how they adapt it for TV. I mean, there are some separations, sure, between the uh, comic and the television show. But, um, you know, I think that's um, really interesting to see what they do. And Frank Darabont uh, seems to be a good guy to be able to adapt it to uh, a TV series, so anyway, um, speaking of things they add and maybe um, delete to move the story along would be Merle, the guy that was um, handcuffed on the roof at the end of episode two. Uh, he had, from my uh, recollection was not in the comic, but he is an awesome actor, Michael Rooker he was Henry and Henry of a, a, ser- a bleh, Henry portrait of a serial killer, and uh, anytime he's on a TV show or a movie. I have to stop and watch because, to me, he's captivating. And, yeah, he's a hateable guy, um, and I can't wait to see him again. And uh, now, as we know, at the end of Episode 3, uh, spoilers, he we will see him again eventually. And I think your theory of him being the governor is a good one, especially since the body trauma that he experienced to get off the roof um, could uh, correlate into similar body trauma of another major character um, trying not to be spoilery but yeah great um, I think the casting is excellent uh, Rick is, is awesome he is actually a Brit did you know that because that amazes me how British actors can mask their accents um, it reminds me of Tim Roth and Reservoir Dogs you'd never know he was a Brit um, awesome uh... Dale and Glenn are straight out of the damn pages of the comic they're so perfectly cast the only one I'm not sure of right now is Carl the little boy and because he's a little boy you know I mean he goes through a hell of a lot of changes throughout the story so we can only hope the series goes as long to um... show the changes that he goes through so the jury's still out for me on Carl but hopefully he'll um... you know he'll prove his acting chops so and lastly, I wanted to um, comment on the zombies themselves. They are great. They're like snowflakes. None, uh, no two are the same. Um, they're very individual. They have various levels of decay and mobility. You know, some of them can use tools, some can't. You can see their wounds. You know, you can kind of figure out how they died. It's, it's great. Effects um, obviously took great care, in uh, presenting these zombies and, you know, kind of combining the practical and the CGI effects um, to my uh, opinion, a a perfect, perfect uh, level. So anyway, I could go on and on, but it's been three minutes and 40 seconds. So I'm going to say goodbye for now, but I love the show and I love your show and I will talk to you later. Bye.
0: Oh boy, you guys are so smart. First of all, Spooky Bill, I agree. Uh, I liked episode three better than episode two, and I think that's because episode three more follows the comic book than uh, episode two did. And yes, it still does feel too short. It feels like once you're really getting into it and the energy's high, then the show is over and you got to wait another week. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I still think that Merle is going to be the governor. You, You watch. You watch. I think that's where it's going. Um, but, uh, I am also with you in that I don't care about the new characters at all. And maybe that's just because I don't know them as intimately as I do the characters from the comic. Uh, so maybe that's it. Maybe I just have to let them soak, give them some time, you know, absorb what they're all about. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and you know what? That is a great point. I completely forgot that I was thinking about that also during the show. They made so much noise, in the camp i could not believe that they were getting away from that no wonder zombies are coming up the mountain no wonder they're like "Huh, we can't figure this out the zombies have never come up this far before what's going on well maybe a quit honking the horn setting the alarm off uh, revving your engines uh, you know firing guns i i don't know call me crazy but good good point so thank you spooky bill for calling that in and i expect uh, also, in episode four, uh, call in. So, <laughs> <laughs> thanks, man. Um, Betty from Maryland, that was fantastic. You are absolutely right. AMC is the perfect home for this. Frank Darabont is uh, great, doing a fantastic job. Um, and Michael Rooker, I'm, I'm glad that you um, mentioned him because I love that guy. He's that he's that actor that you see in so many things. But uh, you can never, like, remember his name or anything. And I I couldn't remember who that was. But for some reason, for some reason, of all the things he's been in, and he's been in a lot, um, I think first of Mallrats when I see that guy. (laughs) I don't know why. He plays the father, and he's the jerk, as he is in every other role that he ever plays. But uh, I think of Mallrats, which is a great movie. Um, But, uh, yeah, and you know what? You mentioned Carl, and you kind of have a problem maybe with the casting. And I think that is going to be a challenge throughout this entire series. Because I don't know if you've read the comic book, Betty, uh, and it sounds like you probably have. But um, the time period is stretched way out. So over, you know, the five or six years of The Walking Dead comic book physically being released month after month, really the amount of time covered in there in the story is like maybe one year. And uh, so they're going to have trouble with people aging, especially the kids, especially the kids. So I expect to see a lot of cast changes, probably with Carl. They're probably going to have to unless they really dramatically zip along the timeline in the show. And I don't think they are going to do that. And I'm glad you brought up the effects. I love what you said about the zombies, that the zombies are like snowflakes because that's absolutely right. There are no two who are alike. There, there's no group of zombies that they just took and put a little bit of face paint on and maybe darkened around their eyes a little bit and gave them a little bit of fake blood and then sent them out into the into the crowd to hopefully blend in. You don't see any like that. Everyone they took such care to uh, put in detail, and that is what makes a difference. But KB effects are, are absolutely brilliant. So, thank you. Thank you, Betty. Thank you, Spooky Bill. So, let's talk about The Walking Dead. What did I think about it? Well, of course, you know, all the great things that my friends had to say there. Um, and uh, also, I've been thinking about it. And this show, even if you're not into the story, even if you think it's too slow, this show is worth watching just for the look of the zombies alone. I mean, I'm blown away. My, one of my favorite zombies now in this episode is the zombie that gets up from eating the deer. I mean, just that look. And he kind of does a hiss at, uh, I think it's either Rick or Shane that uh, is right there and confronts that zombie. But that look right there is so good, and it's scary. And (laughs) wow, wow. Um, But like I said, episode three is much more like the comic than episode two. We open with Merle, of course, chained to the pipe on top of the building, and he's reaching out for the hacksaw, and he's almost got the hacksaw within reach. And the zombies are coming. They're pounding through the door. And so it looks like that they might get Merle if he can't get that hacksaw to to saw through his handcuffs. So the rest of the group, we got Rick, Glenn, and all the others that they just met. They're driving to camp from the city. Glenn is driving this sports car into camp, and the car alarm is going off the whole way. And I'm thinking to myself, you'd have to have a horde of zombies right after you. Because... Uh, I don't know. Like Spooky Bill said, the sounds that they make in camp and going into camp are tremendous. And I'm really surprised that a lot more zombies aren't invading the camp. But uh, we see the great, really emotional scene of Rick reuniting with his family and also seeing Shane again. You know, Lori is extremely happy that Rick is back, but she's also sad at the same time because she assumed that he was dead. Um, Of course, Shane is not happy at all, even though he's trying to play it on the outside like everything's cool. Um, And Lori just completely dumps Shane after this. She tells him to leave her alone, leave her family alone. And uh, the big reveal here is that Shane had actually told Lori that Rick was dead. And so that's why Lori just went on with the assumption that that was true and slept with Shane, I think, so willingly. But now she is really upset with him about that. But the scene of the reunion with Rick and his family is just absolutely wonderful. So the big drama here is that we got Merle's brother, Daryl, still at the camp. Of course, he's out hunting. He has this crossbow that he goes out and looks for food so everybody can eat. And the whole group is trying to figure out, well, how do you tell Daryl that we left his brother Merle chained to a pipe with the zombies coming? <laughs> and uh, he's probably going to be a little upset. So there's this big confrontation with Rick and Shane and, of course, the black guy. And I can't remember his name now because he's just, he's a new character that I just don't care about yet. Um, But like I said, my favorite zombie in this episode was the zombie eating the dead deer. Um, There's a big scene about that and it's really, really great. And now we have Rick. He wants to go back to the city to find Morgan. And then also he's like, well, if I'm going back to the city... I might as well rescue Merle while I'm there. So, of course, Shane is vehemently against this for some reason. But then uh, uh, Rick remembers also the big bag of guns that he dropped while he was, you know, riding the horse into town and he got attacked. So he's like, we still got this huge bag of guns laying in the middle of the street. Okay, we can pick up the guns. We can rescue Merle. I can see if Morgan's okay. And that's what we'll do in the city. So uh, we have this other scene of Shane beating the crap out of Carol's husband because he's a he's a woman-hating abuser, and um, you know you gotta say you you had to respect Shane for doing that. I mean that's how you feel whenever you see some loser wife abuser. <laughs> yeah, I rhymed. Um, you know, doing that kind of thing to women, and uh, you know you had to you had to give props. To Shane for doing that, but of course Carol's dumb enough to be upset about the whole thing and still go back to her husband after that. <sighs> so yeah, it was a great episode. I mean, uh, my prediction uh, about Merle turning into the governor at some point is looking good so far because the big spoiler here that I'm going to give is that uh, they get to the top of the building to the pipe, and the handcuff is dangling free, and there is a severed hand sitting there. So of course. He got to it and hacked off his own hand because he didn't have time to hacksaw through the metal of the handcuffs oh wow wow what an episode this one was great i gotta say i liked it better than episode two also and actually this time around i caught most of the commercials because i was sort of working at the same time and during the commercials i'd look down to my computer and and do stuff And uh, some of the commercials caught my attention. I found that commercial I was talking about where it was for a car driving through the horde of zombies. And that was actually for the Toyota Corolla. Um, And shows how good of a car it would be uh, to get away from zombies in. And uh, to that, I have to say that I'm really sorry, but during a zombie outbreak, the last car I'm going to trust to get me down the road safely is a Toyota. Yeah. Yeah. So sorry, Toyota people out there. But yeah, but uh, I'll post the link to that commercial. Uh, It's up on YouTube, so uh, you can go watch that. Um, And also, I'm seeing commercials for erectile dysfunction. And we see these erectile dysfunction ads plaguing TV Almost as bad as car insurance commercials Doing I hate car insurance commercials. They're terrible. They think they're so smug and clever. But they're just retarded. I mean, it's car insurance. But this erectile dysfunction thing just cracks me up. So, you know, when you see all these commercials that they're playing during The Walking Dead, here is what the network, AMC, here's what they're saying about the demographic of people watching The Walking Dead. It's that, one, they're stupid enough to buy a Toyota, and two, that they can't get it up. So I mean that's that's not me. That's that's what they're saying. I mean I'm just I'm just passing the message along, clarifying the message here. <laughs> uh, so that's it. Yep, Walking Dead, absolutely wonderful. We are halfway through the season now, and isn't that sad? Uh, after this, we're gonna have to wait till October of 2011 to see the next season, and hopefully it's a lot more than six episodes. I am hoping for like. A full you know standard kind of 13 episode run at least but yeah you got to give me more than this because this is going to be over quick and there is so much more to come i mean it gets amazing absolutely amazing they are changing things up a little bit from the comic which keeps me very interested to see how they work in these changes so man man i'm excited but you should be watching the walking dead on amc
2: Within three days, the dead will destroy all the living. I am from another planet, outside your galaxy.
1: I'm sorry, I I just don't understand.
2: Unless Earth surrenders in 24 hours, we will begin a mass invasion. We are invisible. We are invisible, Adam Penner. You cannot see us. From outer space come the invisible invaders, living dead men threatening to destroy all life on Earth.
0: Invaders 1959 oh yeah this is horror sci-fi from the 50s at its not necessarily best but this is a good example of 1950s sci-fi horror (laughs) it's just over an hour long uh directed by Edward Kahn and uh yeah I had to get this one through Netflix I was interested in seeing it or not Netflix I'm sorry that's just kind of an automatic thing for me uh I got it through Amazon. I actually bought it a few dollars on Amazon and uh, I had seen screenshots from it and I really liked the look of the zombies. I'm like, this could really be something here. This could be a lost gem. So yeah, that's why I kind of spent a few bucks on it. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's better than plan nine. But uh, the plot here is we have a scientist named Carol Neumann It was actually played by John Carradine, which is uh, really interesting because you don't hear this movie (laughs) brought up when you're talking about John Carradine. But he plays a scientist experimenting with atomic energy. Of course, uh, there's a big accident. He dies in this explosion at his laboratory. And then suddenly he comes back from the dead to visit his other scientist friend, Dr. Adam Penner, and uh, completely freaks out Penner. But uh, Carradine's character, Dr. Neumann, tells Dr. Penner that uh, the body has been taken over by an alien and uh, that they're from the moon and that they've managed to change their molecular structure so that they're invisible to humans. And uh, they've been studying the earth for centuries and that unless the humans surrender to the invisible invaders from the moon, that the aliens will wage war. So that's the whole thing. They got to figure out how to stop the alien threat. And I'm going to spoil this for you because you probably won't watch this and you'll probably never attempt to find it because this is extremely hard to find. But the big shocker at the end is that sound waves are the answer. They discover a certain high-pitched frequency that uh, makes the aliens die. So there you go. But uh, another great example, like I said, of 1950s sci-fi horror. We're in the Atomic Age. And we're exploring the question of whether we should be uh studying atomic energy and trying to harness it and we're also questioning space exploration here a little bit we have fears about what's out there because we're learning so much more about it and we're exploring into it and so is that necessarily a good thing and people are being pulled apart rather than brought together in the midst of all this um and it's very dialogue driven uh, as are a lot of movies of this era Uh, But consequently here, it's pretty slow the whole way through. Uh, I discovered the pacing to make the viewer pretty sleepy. Yeah, yeah. So I was pretty drowsy during this. I didn't go to sleep, but yeah, yeah. I was very, (laughs) very sedated. (laughs) Um, I liked some of the effects. Uh, For the 50s, this movie had a great look. Uh, I like the invisibility effects, kind of the feet dragging through the dirt that uh, we see an awful lot throughout the movie and uh, actually you get to see the aliens a couple times uh, right at the beginning and they kind of disappear but you see them for a couple seconds and they're kind of these white scaly things and then at the end while the aliens are dying while they're kind of being pulled out of the bodies that they've taken over uh you see they're these big white things so yeah the effects were pretty cool i like the crazy space age effects of the the sound waves <laughs> everything that's pretty classic I really like the zombies. I liked the look of the zombies. Um, They had this look of uh, kind of a Night of Living Dead kind of look. And this movie was making me think that, you know, George Romero definitely had to watch this one before he made Night of Living Dead. I think this influenced that. This came 10 years, or, you know, nine or 10 years before Night of Living Dead. And. I gotta say, this has a lot of things about it. The zombies are very slow-moving. You can tell their dead bodies and the makeup they use and stuff. They're very gruesome in a lot of times. You see a lot of, you know, skin flaps and blood and things like that. Um, yeah, yeah, great, great zombies. They look very cool. And another thing, you know, they advance the plot an awful lot by showing you a lot of stock footage, which is another thing that we see in a lot of 50s sci-fi and horror movies but a lot of it is here and most of it is destruction things being destroyed when the aliens attack we see buildings blown up and bridges collapsing and lots of accidents and fires (laughs) yeah (laughs) so what we have here with invisible invaders is a lot of cool looking zombies stock footage of pure carnage intercut with a lot of lame dialogue and then the whole thing is narrated by this really 1950s kind of radio voice.
1: The Walking Dead were everywhere now. A vast army of destruction that could not be killed.
0: But I gotta say overall, you just gotta love the 1950s futuristic science. A lot of devices and gadgets and blinking lights and things. Oh, gotta love it. So I had a lot of fun with this movie even though it was slow, even though it was kind of dumb. Uh, yeah, this is another one. So I'm going to give it, uh, I have six written down here, but let's give it a seven. Talking about it now, I um, I, I got to switch to a seven out of 10, Invisible Invaders, uh, just because I'm, not, I'm thinking about how much it influenced Knight. This this really did have an influence. I'd be interested for somebody to ask George Romero or uh, John Russo or, or Russ Striner, one of these guys, about uh, this film. And if they had seen it, and if it influenced night because I think that it did
2: there's something in the air and it feels like fear there's something in the night and it seems like terror there's someone in your bed and it looks like you
1: Mommy?
2: Life will be simpler now. The only thing missing...
1: Mommy?
2: ...will be you.
1: Mommy? What's the matter, honey? What's the matter? There's mommy. She's right there. What happened? Mommy! not my mommy! i have seen people at the infirmary exhibiting paranoia. People afraid to sleep.
0: Get in bed.
1: They're afraid of family members. Let us
0: go!
1: <laughs> people afraid of themselves. We
0: gotta go right now!
1: Oh, no, Marty, let's get out of here. They're out there.
2: They're everywhere.
1: Is that my power? We're gonna get out of here, Marty. Where are you gonna go? Where are you gonna run? Where are you gonna hide? Nowhere. No one like you left.
2: Body Snatchers. The invasion continues. they kill to be you.
0: Oh, this week I had time. I sat down. I put on Netflix on my Wii. And I brought up Body Snatchers from 1993. And I'm like, finally. Finally, I have time to watch this. I can give it my full undivided attention. Cued it up, started playing it. So let me give you a little background information about Body Snatchers because my experience of this movie is quite peculiar and uh, left me quite dissatisfied, and you'll, you'll see why. Uh, this is directed by a guy named Abel Ferreira. And interestingly enough, Stuart Gordon co-wrote this screenplay along with Dennis Paoli and Nicholas St. John. I don't know who either of those guys are, but I'm sure that they're at least somewhat cool because they co-wrote with Stuart Gordon. Um, and Forrest Whitaker was the only actor that I recognized. Um, he is a, uh, an African-American, and you see him in a lot of things, a ton of things. But I never say, hey, that's Forrest Whitaker. I actually had to look this up and see, oh, that guy's name is Forrest Whitaker, and I've seen him in a ton of stuff. So yeah, he's the only one I recognized. Um, And really, this is a remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Of course, first made in 1956, made again in 1978, and this is the second remake of the first movie. Uh, Based on the Jack Finney novel, as all the other ones say that they are, but this one is completely different. Um, You know, I was really hoping to see Kevin McCarthy appear uh, doing a cameo, but I had no such luck. Of course, he made a cameo in the 1978 version, and he was still alive here when this was made, so I was hoping to see them pull him in just to be cool, to kind of pay homage to uh, that guy and to the original movies, but they didn't. And nowadays, the cool kids in film, the cool reviewers and podcasters and critics and whatnot, would call this film a reimagining. <laughs> You know, it takes no real inspiration from either of the first uh, Body Snatchers movies or from the novel. I've never read the novel, but uh, I assume that this was completely different. It tells a whole new story, but it still keeps the whole pod people, alien, you know, body snatching thing going on in it. So, what we have here first off, we have a big animated space title sequence. It just screams 1990s. Uh, The animation looks good, the space animation, but uh, yeah, that's all kind of computer generated. And so, yeah, it's pretty cool. The story that we have now is that uh, the EPA sends a man named Steve Malone to this military base to do some kind of inspections with these crazy hazardous chemicals that they're keeping on the base. So this is out in the middle of nowhere. He moves his whole family to the military base with him. They have to live there for a short period of time while he does his studies. Uh, The daughter, the teenage daughter named Marty, is your typical distressed youth of the 90s. You know, (laughs) Uh, guarantee you she listens to Nirvana and uh, things like that. So she befriends another rebellious girl at the military base whose name is Jen. Um, I immediately recognized the actress portraying Jen as being an actress from the original series of Beverly Hills 90210. So yeah, I kid you not, she was one of uh, Brandon's girlfriends on there. So yeah, I guarantee you I'm right about that. (laughs) But uh, in this movie, uh, she plays the daughter of the general, who is actually in charge of this whole military base, General Platt. So they hang out. Weird things start happening. Uh, They see this guy dragged out of his house by men in fatigues. And people start being afraid to go to sleep. And they're paranoid. They're talking about their relatives and their loved ones and their friends. Acting really weird like they're not themselves anymore. And there's this great scene at daycare. Because uh, we also have the six-year-old little boy who's part of this family. Marty's brother. And he's in daycare during the day. And they have paint a picture time you know they do their little finger paintings and when they're done the teacher says okay children hold up your pictures and the scene is so creepy because all of the children there have drawn pretty much the same exact picture the same exact squiggles and colors and everything and the little boy here that's part of this family that just moved in has drawn something completely different so he's the only one that uh, is not like all the other kids for some reason. And the teacher is acting strange, and the kids are acting strange, and the little boy comes home and tells his dad that they tried to make him go to sleep. And yeah, yeah, really creepy. But that's one of my favorite scenes uh, from this film that I got to see. So uh, the girls, Marty and Jen, they end up going to the rec center on their base because they want to go somewhere and hang out. And uh, most of the military guys that are hanging out there are acting really weird. Um, but, uh, Marty is, uh, interested in one of the soldiers. So they kind of hook up and, um, and then we go to this scene where we just see these soldiers pulling these gooey pods out of this water and we see really, really strange things start to happen. We see the stepmother being taken over in her sleep and, uh, just really, really cool pod effects here. Uh, I think the alien effects were done really well. This is all practical effects still. I mean, we're talking about 1993, and they look great. They look great. They really do. And that's something I got to give props to all throughout this whole series. You know, if you remember Invasion of the Body Snatchers from 56, they had really great effects for 1956. And then again in 1978, I loved, loved the effects in the 1978 version. They were done really well too. And now we have 1993, 15 years later than the last one, and these show yet more evolution in film effects, practical effects, and yeah, yeah, thumbs up from me on that. And then we got the scene where Marty's in the bathtub, and she's kind of dozing off, and then all of a sudden, these little tentacles come up out of the water and start going on her face and up her nose and in her mouth and in her ears, like they're going to take her over. And uh, also her father, Steve, is going to sleep in the bed, you know, right down the hall. And these little slithering tentacle things crawl all over him while he's going to sleep. And then it's kind of beginning the alien takeover process of them because it has to happen while they go to sleep. And their new alien bodies that are basically clones of their real human bodies are just about ready. And that's what these tentacles are doing. They're kind of sucking the the whatever out of them into their new bodies. And so Marty's new body comes crashing through the bathroom ceiling and she wakes up just in time. Uh, Her dad's new alien body comes out from under the bed. And like I said, they're both woken up before it's too late and they pull all the tentacles off of them and they're all freaking out. And they discover that pretty much the whole area has been taken over. Uh, it's just chaos around the military base. And all of a sudden, it's kind of a run for their lives because they've been discovered. And now the people who have been taken over by aliens use these really high-pierced, high-pitched, pierced high piercing screams to summon the rest of the aliens. And uh, that's something, I don't know. I thought that was kind of cheesy, that whole scream thing. I mean, it was kind of freaky and it was very bone-chilling. But uh, it's maybe a little weird for this movie. I don't know. Then it cuts to a scene of some kind of Middle Eastern terrorist plot. And um, so I'm going along and I'm watching this movie. And we have things where there uh, there are terrorists planning to bomb buses, 50 buses in the United States to kind of show them that you know you can't be safe anywhere and so I'm, I'm watching this and i'm like this is weird it kind of changed direction completely so maybe in the body snatchers this whole thing is somehow a a product of a middle eastern terrorist thing but i'm like well back in 1993 they weren't really doing a whole i mean we had desert storm right around then and but the whole terrorist thing in the U.S., that wasn't as much of an issue as it is nowadays. So this is kind of weird. So I'm actually watching this. And then 10 or 15 minutes after this big plot change had happened, uh, Jeff Daniels shows up. And I'm like, was Jeff Daniels in Body Snatchers? And I look up and I couldn't find him in the credits. And I'm starting to get suspicious. you know. And then I heard, I heard somebody talking about email. And I was thinking to myself, 1993, like no one had email back in 1993, almost. And so I start kind of doing some Google searches about this. And here, I'll be darned, the the, the movie switched over mid-movie and began to play the ending of the movie Traitor from 2008. And I'd actually thought that I was still watching Body Snatchers for quite a while. (laughs) So, of course, I sent some kind of canned problem report to Netflix. But, uh, you know, if you've ever tried to communicate with Netflix, the options that they give you to do that are very vague. They're very terrible. It's just a series of web forms. And uh, it's the only way you can contact them. Uh, it's it's not even like they're human. It's like some big machine is behind Netflix. And uh, you have to communicate with the machine. Ugh. But now, actually, I'm wondering that if I queue up Trader that um, maybe it'll switch to the ending of Body Snatchers at the halfway through. So, <laughs> I don't know. So I never got to watch the ending of Body Snatchers. Uh, I'm sure things come to some great big ending. But uh, I still had like half an hour left. Oh, what a disappointment. What a disappointment. It, it's just, I, I look back and I laugh because I went for a while thinking that uh, I'm, I'm watching Body Snatchers. <laughs> I'm trying to connect the two plots. Oh, man. Yeah. I never said that I was the sharpest nail in the box or whatever they say. (laughs) I don't know. But uh, I wish I could have seen the end of this. I was actually enjoying it. It was much better than I was thinking it was going to be for a second remake, especially Horror of the 90s, which generally isn't that great. But yeah, yeah, I thought this was pretty good. Um, And the thing about these Body Snatchers movies and the thing that makes them really scary is that you're never really sure that the people are who they appear to be. And they're just acting a little bit off. But it still could be them. So is it them? You know, who's changed? Who isn't? Um, the aliens are making exact physical replicas of the humans. And uh, the only thing is they don't act with any emotion. And they're just kind of weird. And we see that. And it's really creepy. So I think that's what really makes these movies. Uh, I think, yeah, this one was played out really well. So... Uh, I'm going to give you a recommendation to watch this. And I guess I'm going to give it a little rating here, how I would rate it. Um, I would give this, for what I saw of it, um, a 7 out of 10. So that is Body Snatchers with the traitor ending. 7 out of 10. (laughs) But I really love the effects this time around. Like I said, I love the 1990s. This is a good 1990s horror slash sci-fi kind of film. Uh, It had an original story. Um, I'm not saying it's perfect, but I'm saying, hey, this is a great movie. So hopefully, I'll be able to see the ending at some point here soon. In the dark past,
1: humans were their prey, and blood was their life. I'm Rodu. I met him before. Killing begins again. Now, in modern day Transylvania, eternal evil has reawakened. Them. <coughs> She makes me want again. I must destroy him. Subspecies. Starring Michael Watson and Angus Scrimm of Phantasm. Subspecies. species The night has fangs.
0: All right, I watched another movie on Netflix, and I'm going to suggest that you watch it. Uh, This is one of my favorite movies. Uh, I saw this a while back and I've watched it several times since. I'm talking about Subspecies, 1991. This is one of my favorite vampire movies, actually. It's a full moon movie and it's actually my favorite uh, full moon movie. So, yeah. But I gotta say before I go any further that, you know, I'm gonna be talking about this and telling you what's cool about it and why you should go watch it. But my friend James from the Dried Blood podcast did a whole series of Full Moon episodes. And James is an expert on Full Moon. So uh, he does a much better job in talking about this movie and its sequels than I do. So go listen to James. I'm going to tell you some cool things about it and try to urge you to watch this. But uh, this is a great movie. I mean, it takes place in Romania, in Transylvania. And as we all know, any good vampire movie takes place in Transylvania. So there you go. It's an instant win for me. <laughs> but <laughs> I just love the charm of the old European countryside and the historic look of everything. It's just fantastic. And that's part of what does does it for me with this film. It has a great exotic feel. You know, it's, it's a place I don't live. It's kind of far away. It's a lot different than where I live, and I love seeing that. And we see a lot of kind of local weird customs observed, you know, things that are very foreign. You know, we see some funeral rites. We see some burial rites that are really strange. And that's because this whole thing, we got this whole vampire legend in this area, and they take it very seriously there. So Subspecies tells the story of a group of vampires. It's Radu, his brother Stefan, and... And, of course, their father. And Radu is the iconic vampire for this series. He has those uh, those long fangs in the front of his teeth. And I, I just love the look of the vampires in this film, especially Radu. Because he's got those long fangs. He looks very demonic, very evil. Uh, he has the extended fingers with the claws at the end, which are great. He has that raspy voice that sometimes you, you can't even understand what he's saying. But it doesn't matter. Because it's so good. You know, it's a really, really great voice. He has the drooling and he always has the blood around his mouth. And yeah, he's just evil. And, and he is the embodiment of evil, I guess. Uh, his brother, Stefan, is uh, not evil at all. Actually, he kind of rejects his vampire heritage and he doesn't like it at all. And at the beginning of the movie, uh, we see Radu killing his own father because his father always knew that Radu was evil And uh, it it all had to do with somehow he was conceived with this sorceress who put a curse on him. And so, so yeah. And of course, his brother Stefan knows that he's evil. And we get these three college girls that kind of come into town. (laughs) Yeah. Very nice looking young girls. And they're exploring all of this. They're kind of on vacation and they're exploring the spooky vampire things. But of course, right away, the vampire thing kind of happens to them. Radu wants to take these girls for himself. And Stefan falls in love with one of them and is is trying to see if he can make it work where he can be with this mortal human girl but uh, also still be a vampire. And they don't think it's possible, but, uh, you know, hey, he's gonna try. And, of course, things go wrong. Uh, Radu ends up vampirizing all of the girls, basically. Stefan has to save the girl that he loves at the end. She's been bitten by Radu, but Stefan is going to turn her because uh, Radu is so evil, he doesn't want her to be under Radu's evil influence. They end up killing Radu at the end, so there's the big spoiler. <laughs> Congratulations. Uh, and uh, But at the end, we see that Radu is not necessarily dead, even though they've uh, pierced his heart with a wooden stake and chopped off his head. And uh, by the way, the subspecies here, the reason it's called subspecies is because these are the little demonic creatures That uh, Radu calls to do his bidding. And he does this at the beginning of the film while he's confronting his father. And this is one of my favorite scenes in the movie, is where Radu breaks off each of his fingertips and lets them fall to the floor. And each of his fingertips turns into one of these little minions, and they do his bidding. And it's really cool. So these are the subspecies, and the effects here are done with. Uh, stop motion animation and with a lot of optical effects, as you would uh, expect from Full Moon Entertainment. And I like the look here, it's a bit dated, uh, it still works, but I do know that in subsequent films, in the sequels, the effects get better and better. So, yeah, yeah, but it's really cool. Uh, the little subspecies kind of help radu throughout the whole thing and they help uh they, they kind of bring him back i guess from the dead or something like that. i don't know what but uh, anyhow that is the subspecies so uh what about this movie it's just a great fun thing it's a great representation of the vampire legend uh, i love this this does it right um it because it basically tells how the vampire thing is a weird mix between folklore of the romanian region where we're seeing this in transylvania And it's uh, their folklore about the dead coming back to life to devour the living or to drink the blood of the living. And it also mixes in with Catholicism because we see a lot of things. Like, for example, the big thing here in subspecies is the, uh, the acquisition of the bloodstone. The bloodstone is this holy relic, or it's not holy, but it's a relic that supposedly drips the blood of the saints. And that's why Radu, and that's why the vampires won it, because this is very special blood. And we also see things of power, like rosary beads, stuff like that. So yeah, it's it's the Catholic influence, and it's the folklore influence here. And that's what we get vampires from. And so that's what we see here. It's great. It goes back to its roots. It's very gothic. You know, I love a great gothic-feeling vampire movie. And um, directly influenced, I think, in a lot of ways by Nosferatu. Because uh, the look of the vampire is very much like Nosferatu. A lot of the scenes of uh, Radu creeping along, a lot of the way they use shadows and things like that are directly influenced from Nosferatu. So, yeah, yeah, it was a great thing. I think this is just a great classic vampire tale done the right way. The vampires are not pretty. Um, even the one that kind of is normal, Stefan, uh, he's, he's, he's still struggling with his old vampirism. So I think they do it right. Vampires are evil. They're demonic. And that's what we got here. It's great. So it's available on Netflix instant watch, uh, as, as you all know, for each one of you that, uh, goes out now and watches subspecies on Netflix instant watch, I get a nickel every time. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) I wish. I really wish. Netflix, make me rich. All right. The dead will kill the living,
2: and the people of Earth will cease to exist.
0: All right. Another original song for you. Uh, This one is in a style that's uh, completely different than uh, a lot of the other ones, and I, I say that just about every week. But this is... Um, this is a little more accessible than a lot of my other stuff, and, uh, I don't know, every once in a while something just comes out that's like this. But I really like this one. I tried to play a lot of notes on the bass, and, uh, I had a good time singing this and playing this and writing the words. It's all about kind of one guy, and he's in the middle of a a, a zombie outbreak, and there's nobody else, and he's looking for help. He's trying to contact somebody, but he can't. But he can't. And he comes to a very, very bad ending. So, this song is called Alone. to thank everybody who called in spooky bill betty from maryland you guys are fantastic uh the message that i got from johnny t and everyone over at the cult film podcast man uh that was great that's probably one of my favorite personal messages ever Ever. so you guys are awesome i got links to those guys up on midnightcory.com go check them out if you'd like to call the voicemail of death and talk about any of these movies or anything that's on your mind or The Walking Dead or anything like that. I don't care. Uh, The number for that is 814-806-2828. You can also email me, uh, go to midnightcory.com and leave up some comments. I love when people comment on the blog and different things like that. It makes me feel very special. It really boosts my self-esteem and I smile a lot. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So uh, next week... Oh, it's going to be a short week. Uh, i got to do the episode early because I'm traveling over Thanksgiving. So let's talk about Dr. Blood's Coffin, which is the first uh, zombie movie from the 1960s. So I've worn out the 1950s, going into the 60s, and we'll see what that one's all about. I think that one's on Netflix, so that should be fairly easy for me to find. And uh, I've been thinking of getting a little brave and watching... Uh, the movie that was on the opposite side of Invisible Invaders, which is Journey to the Seventh Planet. So maybe I'll watch that. I don't know. <laughs> but we'll see what else happens. I really appreciate that you watch the show. <sighs> what am I saying? You don't watch this unless you're watching the little visualization on your audio. Pla- Thank you for watching. I don't know what I'm talking about. Thank you for listening, listening to the show. You guys are great Um, and yeah, I'll be back again for a great big Thanksgiving special. Talk to you next week.